Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Now this morning, um, I begin on a different aspect in obedience to what the Lord spoke to us back in October. And let me just read to you what the Lord spoke to me back in October. He said, we are entering a season that will require the walk of faith. Aren't you glad you're a faith builder? You're you're already on, on track for that. This season will require the walk of faith, another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. So this is something we're really giving our attention to because we want to be proficient in walking in the Spirit. We want to develop ourselves in these areas that God identified so that we can enter in with accuracy, with clarity, with ease into the things that he has for us. He gave me the scripture from Joshua chapter 3 verse 4 that speaks of when the children of Israel came uh, into the promised land and he was telling them to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant because there was, you know, millions of people. They're about to cross over this river. He says, keep a distance between yourself and the Ark so that you may know the way by which you must go. So the the purpose of them having the ark in a place in front of them where they could see it was so that they would know where to go. And that's what God was telling us with this instruction. He said, we're entering a season that will require the walk of faith. And we're in, so we're entering into some promises. We're entering into some things we've been standing for a long time. We're entering into some things that we've been believing God for and, and, and uh, putting it on our refrigerator, quoting it out of our mouth. We've been focused, right? And he says, we're about to enter in. And to enter, we're going to require this walk of faith, this skill in walking in the spirit. And he gave us five points. And I've been endeavoring to teach along those five points. He said, know the leading with the certainty practice obedience, develop humility and the love walk. The fruit of the spirit is vital. The trust in God, his ways and his words are safeguards. And this morning we began talking about trusting in God and we found out there are some components that it's not just a, a one day we just say, hey, I'm going to trust God. But there are some components that are necessary to be in place we talked a little bit about knowing God. Uh, we just kind of touched that. We're going to go a little bit deeper into that tonight but because it's hard to trust somebody you don't know. And so the more you know him, the more you will trust him. Not just about him. I'm talking about know him. Experience this relationship with God Through knowing his word. We talked a little bit today about how that when we know the word, that's how we know him. That's how we learn to hear his voice because his word, this Bible is not a book about God. It is God speaking to us. This word is living word. This word is alive. It is full of life. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. So these words contain the life of God and the more we fellowship with God through his word, through prayer, through the the atmosphere that we experience as we come together as a local church family, we're learning to know God and the more we know him, the more we will trust him. Amen. So there are some components. We also talked a little bit about this 
this morning that we need to renew our mind because if our mind, if we're allowing unsupervised entrance of wrong thoughts, then we're going to have difficulty trusting God if we have allowed thoughts that disintegrate that trust, that weaken the undergirding of that trust. So we've got to recognize our responsibility to renew the mind, to guard our mind, to take thoughts captive, and to keep every thought in line with what God says about what we're believing for, what we're standing for, the direction of our lives. And so these components are are things that will help us be more accurate in our trust, to be more confident. And we started this morning talking about the definition from the Old Testament, Strong's Concordance, uh, the Old Testament word for trust. Let me just go back and we'll, we'll, we'll review that definition. The word trust means to confide or set one's hope and confidence upon. So to confide or set one's hope and confidence upon. It comes from a root word. The word that, the, that trust was taken from originally, this word means to hide for refuge, to be confident, sure, bold or secure, to feel safe or free from care. But I like that first part, to hide for refuge. So when I, when I trust in God, it's like I'm in the cleft of the rock. Oh, he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Y'all remember that old song? The cleft of the rock. What's that talking about? Where God put Moses. He put Moses in the cleft of the rock as he walked past and showed himself to him, right? That cleft is so, it, there are scriptures and we'll, I don't know if we'll get to them today, but we'll get to them at some point as we're talking about trust, where, where God, he is referred to as the rock of ages. Amen. That's, that's who he is. We're, we want to know him as the rock of ages. Amen. Because the more we know God, not just about him, but knowing about him helps us know him. The more we know him, the more we trust him. Amen. So let's learn about him so that we can hide in him for refuge. Psalm 56. We went through a few different scriptures in Psalms and... uh, We'll just jump off from this one, Psalm 56, verse 3. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. We, we saw another scripture. I think it might have been 31 this morning where we saw that trust is something I put. Yeah, it was 31.1. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. And we saw a few different examples in Psalm 31. He said, I put my trust, I commit. And because I trust in you, I say. So those are specific decisions. So you could, when we talk about trust, how does trust differ from faith? What in your, in your estimation, what would you, if you were trying to say, well, you know, if you have faith, you're trusting, right? That, you do, right? You, if you have faith, you're trusting in God. If I were to try to describe what would, to me, make it more specific, what is specifically trusting versus faith, trust is a commitment to faith, a commitment to believe. It, it includes that commitment and that decision that I won't turn back from it. Is that, yes, I'm going to believe. I have faith and I commit to that faith. I commit to not be moved off of it, to not be moved away. And we saw that the person who trusts, Jeremiah 17 said that person who trusts becomes like a tree planted by rivers of living water, won't be moved Why? Because that trust anchors me. That commitment to trust God is like an anchor. And no matter what blows against me, I'm anchored. 
I have a root system in a supply that, that I can't be moved. And so for that's, that's my explanation. If I were to say what's different between trust and faith, tr- uh, trust is when I take faith and I commit it, I anchor it. So this is what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe God and I'm not changing from it. I commit to that. So we see from these scriptures that I put my trust. That's something I choose to do, something I endeavor, something I specifically purposefully do. It's a spiritual action. I trust. I put my trust in God. I will not fear. So if I have put my trust in God, fear is not an option. Once I've put my trust in God, fear's off the table. Fear's, fear's out the, out, no, 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 can't do that. Why? Because I've already trusted. Remember what David said? I would have fainted, except I had believed. <laughs> so fainting is no longer an option because I've already, I've already hooked into believing here. I would have fainted, except I've already believed. And so that's what we're like, I, I, I would have feared, but n- no need to now because I'm trusting. If I'm trusting, if I put my trust in him, I will not. Again, that's a choice and an exercise of my will. I will not fear. And you know, fear can come against you so that your mouth, I mean, you, you, you feel it in, your, in the symptoms of your body. Your, your, your hands shake. You, your stomach has the butterflies. You're, you, you, you sense it physically right there trying to, to be on you, but you don't have to take it. If you'll just resist it, it will flee. Just because you feel the fear, just because it has physical symptoms that accompany that fear, that make it so real, doesn't mean you have to accept it. You can resist it and it must flee. If you will resist the fear and say, no, I will not fear. I will not fear. We are under no obligation at any point, at any time, in any circumstance to yield to fear. At every opportunity, you are authorized by who you are in Christ to resist fear. And when you resist it, it will flee. It must flee. It has no option. Amen? So don't let the symptoms deceive you into thinking it's too late. You're already in fear. No, just because my body is experiencing the symptoms, I am not my body. I am a a born-again spirit alive unto God, and my born-again spirit says, no, I will not fear. Amen? So this is one of the re, uh, the, the um, uh, recompenses or one of the uh, reactions that come as a response to my decision to trust God. I refuse to fear. Amen. Hallelujah. This is our assignment. To develop our trust in God to the point that we can walk continuously, consistently, refusing the fear and trusting in God. It's not automatic, but it is possible for us to gain skill. And God said it was a safeguard to us. God said trusting in God, His ways and His word, they are safeguards. We need those safeguards in our life. So let's talk about some characteristics of God that set him apart. Some characteristics of God that we've got to go to the scripture to find because we're not going to be able to see them without the scripture because we've never experienced them anywhere else. God puts these characteristics in the scripture to reveal them to us. So that we can take scripture and we can put it in our engine of our heart and we can receive revelation of now I know God in a way I didn't know him before. And so we've got to know him because our our natural senses can't identify these characteristics of God. 
Our previous experience cannot identify these characteristics of God. We've got to let his word reveal him to us. And so one of the things that is so different than anything we've ever experienced before, and it is so vital that we understand it because to trust God, these are characteristics that, that are his nature. This is who God is, and he's not going to change. This is who God is. We can, we can trust him because, number one, God cannot lie. God cannot. Amen. We got a preacher in the making right there. That's right. God cannot lie. It didn't say he won't. He cannot. God is so truth in his character and in his nature that God cannot lie. It is not possible for God to speak a lie. Can you trust someone who who you know can't lie? Can you trust somebody who you know they can't? Can you take him at his word if you know he cannot lie? Let's look at some scriptures and let these scriptures reveal to us this character of God. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Talking about the life to come, the hope, our eternal life. Can you look forward to living forever in eternity with God? Why can you look forward to that? You've never seen anybody do that. He can't lie. He which promised, he can't lie. God, which cannot lie. Notice they put that in there. Before he talked, he said, God, who cannot lie, you can look forward to your your glorified body. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that, right? You can look forward to forever with God, never to be separated from Him. Hallelujah. We can look forward to the no curse in our lives, not having to deal with the curse. Right? Why? Why can we, why can we expect that? Why can we plan for that? Why can we look forward? Because God cannot lie. Well, what else can we look forward to then? What else can we expect? What else can we anticipate because God cannot lie? Hallelujah. Everything he promised. Everything he promised. Why? Because he cannot lie. So if I have his word on it, then it's truth. And I can trust him and I don't have to fear. Why? Because I have something that's truth to dispel that fear, to defeat that fear. So I, this is an aspect of God, a character trait of God that we've not experienced with anybody else we've ever met. I've never met anybody human. I've never met any person on the earth human from a human standpoint who cannot lie. Amen? But the closest, I think, for me is my husband who won't lie. I'm like, if he says it, you know, he, I mean, even if it's to his embarrassment or whatever, he will tell the truth. It's just, he's, and, and so I trust him. Somebody could come and say, well, it's such and such. And I'm like, no, he wouldn't lie to me. He would not lie. I know him. He couldn't live with himself if he lied. He would just be so miserable. He'd have to come tell it, right? He'd have to go repent to somebody. I mean, even if he exaggerates, he'll come back in the house. He'll call me and say, I misspoke. Forgive me. Because he is so determined to be accurate with his words that if he exaggerates or, or says, you know, something that, that may have left uh, any kind of a question, he'll call back and he'll say, no, I misspoke. And he'll, he'll want it to be so accurate. But here we've got God 
who cannot lie and was so willing for you to take him at his word that he put it in writing so that we don't, even if we're like, what did he say? Let me go look. He's like, yeah, go ahead and look. I'm not at any time intimidated by you bringing my word to me. Remind me what I said because I am willing to back it up. I'm watching over my word. Amen. To perform it. So according to Proverbs 14.5, look at Proverbs 14.5 in light of what we just saw in Titus 1. It says in Proverbs 14.5, a faithful witness will not lie. So we could call God in light of this verse, God's a faithful witness. So if God says it, no matter what other evidence I have, I'm going to take what God says against anything else. Whatever other evidence I come, if it's a symptom and I have to compare it to what God said, God's word is more faithful to me than what I feel in my body. God's word is more faithful to me than what I see happening in my children's lives. His word says, great is the peace of my children. Whatever I see does not compare to what he said. What he said is greater than, it is more faithful and true than what I see. Amen? So I've got to, that's, that's, that takes some training, doesn't it? That takes some practice on our part that we learn because we've learned to, to take things at face value. We've learned if I see it, I'll believe it. But that's not the walk of faith. The walk of faith is if he said it, I'll believe it. Amen. And seeing it will come. But that's not my emphasis. And that's not my goal. My goal, is not to, my goal is not to see it before I can put my trust in him. My goal is to know, did God say it? If God said it, then I can put my trust in him. I'll, I'll eventually see it. That's not a problem. Amen. That's not my focus. My focus is, did God say that? If God said it, I'll take him at his word. And I, so learning to walk with that attitude of God's word, he's a faithful witness because he cannot lie. That takes my practice. That takes a renewing of the mind. That takes me bringing some thoughts into captivity like we were talking about this morning. That takes me uh, putting some things in order of priority. Of what God said is of higher priority than what my body says or what the report says or what the bank book says or what, what the, the activity I see. I'm looking at a higher level of truth. God cannot lie. Amen. He cannot lie. And God said. Amen. So that, that takes practice on our part. God is a faithful witness. So remember, it's that trust. If I'm believing it, then I can receive it. I, I shared with you about the uh, book that Jackie Mize wrote. And her husband, when, before they were married, she was told she could never have children. And when she was starting to date Terry Mize, he said, who told you that? She said, the doctors told me that. They've done all these tests and they've had all this proven. And, and because of whatever had happened, I'm not able to have children. He said, well, that's not what God said. And so he began to preach to her what God said and, and taught her she was redeemed from the curse of the law. And so they got married and, and he, he taught her about the being redeemed from the curse of the law to the point that he said, you don't even have to have pain in childbirth. She said, really, I'll take that. And so when she had her children that they told her she could never have, did you say four? They four. I, I thought it was three, but four. Four children. Amen. No pain in childbirth. Because somebody told her God would do that for her in her covenant. And so she, she, she told her testimony, put it in a CD, started sharing that CD around. And, and all kinds of people. I still have people who say, I read that book and it helped me. I read that book and I didn't need any pain medicine. I, I told the story and Pastor Ron Swagger came up and he said, my oldest daughter got that book and went through childbirth with no pain. They kept offering her to do the pain block. And she said, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. And, and because she believed it. Amen. She saw it from the word. She believed it. So 
Do you believe God cannot lie? If that's trust. See, I'm trusting God and I'm taking him. He's my faithful witness. Well, that's true for every part of what's in our covenant. I never have to be broke another day in my life. That's part of my covenant. I believe that. Amen. I never have to be sick another day in my life. I believe that. Hallelujah. So we're believing and receiving that trust is the connection to that supply. So God's a faithful witness. Let's look at Numbers 23. Numbers 23 and verse 19. Hallelujah. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. And that means to change his mind or to make it easy upon himself. The word repent means to to change it, change the mind to make it easy on himself. You know, even when Adam, Adam gave over to Satan everything that God had entrusted to him, God legally set redemption in place. He did not just come in and change the rules because of what Satan had done. He had to do it justly. So he was willing to go the long road, so to speak, to do it right, to redeem us legally, because God's not going to do anything just to make it easy on himself. So God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of man that he should repent. Now, this is our attitude. This is, just say right now, this is my attitude. Has he not said it? And shall he not do it? That's my attitude. If God said it, it did, did he say it? Did he say great is the peace of my children? Well, then he'll do that. Did he say he sent his word and he healed me? Well, then he'll do that. Did he say I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed coming out? Well, then he'll do that. Has he not said it? Shall he not do it? Right? That's my attitude. Has he spoken and shall he not make it good? Hallelujah. That's That's the way we approach the word. If God spoke it, he'll make it good. If God said it, he'll do it. Amen? 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. And again, this word, one of the definitions of this word from the Strong's Concordance means to ease oneself, to make it easy on yourself. God is not the kind of person who will back out or change to make it easy on himself. So there are other Old Testament scriptures, for instance, when the children of Israel had plucked God's last nerve, so to speak, and God said, it repenteth me. Or when Saul, for instance, uh, disobeyed and uh, uh, offered what when he should not have offered and then uh, took the, the best out of the kingdom when God told him to destroy everything in that, that, that battle... And he, God said, it repenteth me that I've made him king. That's, that's not the same word. In other words, God's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going a different direction. When Eli, when Eli uh, continually dishonored God by honoring his sons and letting his sons do all of those evil things, God says, it repenteth me that I've made him. I would have had you. In other words, God's saying, because of your disobedience, because of your actions, I'm going to have to go a different direction. That's a different word. This word repent means to ease oneself. In other words, God's not going to get into a situation because sometimes, well, maybe God's not going to save my children because look at how they've been acting and look what they've been doing or whatever the case may be. No. God's, God's, God's up to it. He's up to it. He's not going to change his promise to make it easy on himself. 
That's what it's talking about. So when it says the strength of Israel, talking about God, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Can you trust someone who's going to stay with you even when it gets difficult? Can you trust someone who's not going to change and back out on what they promise just because they're going to have to go the hard way around to do it? Amen? So even if God has to go the long way around to get to my children, he's going to go the long way around. He's going to stay with it. He's going to send people that he has to, he has to go out of their way to get laborers to go across their path, to minister to them, to open the eyes. He'll do it. Why? Because he's not going to, he's not going to back out because it's hard on him. Hallelujah. Can you trust somebody who won't lie? Cannot lie. And it's not going to back out of the covenant just because he's got to do things the hard way to make it happen. I can trust that. I can trust him because that's his nature. This is his character. Ezekiel 24 and verse 14. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass and I will do it. I will not go back. Neither will I spare Neither will I repent according to thy ways and according to thy doing shall they judge you, saith the Lord God. Hallelujah. That's his attitude about his word. That's our attitude about his word. God has spoken it. It will come to pass and God will do it. It will come to pass and God will do it. It will come to pass. You can trust him. He'll do it. Hallelujah. He will not spare. He will not repent. Hallelujah. He'll do it. So we can trust him. We can trust him. Another aspect of God's character is faithful. And we attribute that often to people maybe on the workplace or to a specific calling or, or uh, faithful in the marriage, faithful as a parent, faithful in different attributes of their life. But we haven't seen in a human the type of faithfulness, the level of faithfulness that God is. God is faithful. And he is the epitome of faithfulness. He is the highest example of faithfulness. But we need to know that faithfulness of God. Let's look at 2 Timothy. We've got to see it in the Word. 2 Timothy 2. And 13. If we believe not, yet He abides faithful, He cannot deny Himself. Why? It's his faithfulness. It's it's part of his character. He can't deny himself. He can't change who he is. He's faithful by nature. The word faithful is the Greek word pistos, which means reliable, true, or to be trusted. Reliable, true. Or to be trusted. So if we believe not, he still abides faithful because that's his character. That's his his nature. Hallelujah. He's faithful. He's reliable. He is true or to be trusted. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, when we look at the examples that that we see of God telling us to be, um, uh, to hold fast. In Hebrews 10, 23, he gives us a reason to hold fast and never to waver. Why? Because God's faithful that promised. Hold the profession of your faith without wavering. How do I do that? He's faithful. That's how you do it. You know his faithfulness. If you, if you focus on his faithfulness, then you don't have to waver. What causes people to waver is when they start thinking about things, the questions, what if, what about, 
all of those things get their attention off the faithfulness of God. Like Peter was walking on the water until he got his attention off the word that once held him up and began to look at things that had nothing to do with his ability to walk on water. The wind and the waves were present and active when he took his first step and however many other steps he took until he gave them his attention. When he turned his attention to those situations, circumstances that had nothing to do with the promise, then he began to sink. If we keep our attention on his faithfulness, we are not tempted to waver. Why? Because we're looking at the steadfastness of God, the reliability of God, the truthfulness of God. God is faithful. He promised. The one who promised me, he's faithful. The one who promised me, he's reliable. The one who promised me, I can take it to the bank. Why? Because he is reliable. Hallelujah. So that maintains a connection for me. Hold fast without wavering. How? How? He's faithful that promised. That's how. Give that your attention. He's faithful. We see the example in Sarah. Sarah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it says that Sarah received strength to conceive seed. She received physical, natural strength in her body to be able to conceive a child. How did she receive physical, natural change in her body, a physical, natural adjustment in her body that changed what had been all those years in her life? It changed from that moment on the condition of her body. How did she receive it? She judged God faithful. That is the key. The the scripture gives us Sarah's key. This is what made the difference for Sarah. This is what gave Sarah her part of bringing forth the promise of God. Her part, she judged God faithful. That that consideration of God, that acknowledgement of God being faithful is what changed in her the, the, to, to the point of receiving. Her ability to receive, strength to conceive seed, was a result of her acknowledging God's faithful, seeing Him as faithful. And it will work for you. You just got a key tonight. Go ahead and put it in your pocket. That's a, that's a master key. You don't want to lose that master key. I just gave you a master key by the Spirit tonight. If you want to know how to receive what you need to receive from God, start judging Him faithful. Amen. Start talking about His faithful. Study, study about His faithfulness. Begin to, to pray. And when you pray, every time you pray, say, Father, I thank you that you are faithful to your covenant. And begin to talk about His faithfulness. Sing about His faithfulness. Read about His faithfulness until you begin to judge God faithful. And the more, that, the more that you bring that to the forefront of your thinking, the, the greater that connection is and you unlock that ability to receive. She judged God faithful. That was worth you combing your hair and coming to church tonight. You got a key. Praise God. He is reliable. He is true. Hallelujah. First Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 and verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Now, that's not suffering anything you're redeemed from. God does not have us suffer anything that Jesus paid to redeem us from. So that would, that would mean you're not suffering sickness or poverty. You're not uh, suffering uh, uh, any, any of the redemptive things. But there may be some persecution that you have to suffer. There may be some people who go to the other side of the hallway when you come by because they don't want to hear you talk about Jesus, right? You may suffer persecution so that when you're at the family dinner, they, they might not want to hear, they might not want to let you pray over dinner, right? 
So whatever the persecution, he says, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Hallelujah. That's a good way for us to approach him. He's our faithful creator. And I can commit my, commit the keeping of my soul to him. God can keep me. Hallelujah. Do you see yourselves as kept? Are you, are you kept? Can he keep you? Can he keep you in whatever difficult situation might be going around uh, on around you? Can he keep you? Hallelujah. Kept by God. Kept. So it says here that we are to commit the keeping of our souls. How can I do that? I know him as faithful. I can only do that to someone I trust. And we saw a scripture this morning from Psalm 31 that Jesus quoted on the cross. Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's trust. He was saying, I'm going to give up my life and I trust you that I will have it back. (laughs) I trust you. You will not leave my soul in hell. I trust you. You will not leave me dead. So I'm, I, I mean, that's real trust to, to give up your life and trust that God's going to revive you, resurrect you. <laughs> He's our example, isn't he? Oh, what an example he is. This is that committing. So if, if Jesus can commit to that point, how much more can we commit our ways unto God. Lord, I commit to you the safeguarding and the keeping of my life. I might be walking through some things, but I know you're the one who's keeping me. I know that whatever it looks like, you're keeping me. I will not be desolate. Did we see that today? Those who trust in him shall not be desolate. I won't be destroyed. I won't be empty. I won't be out there in in a desert somewhere trying to figure out how to make it happen. No, no, no. I'm trusting in the Lord. Hallelujah. So that trust is that connection to that provision. And he says those, we trust him as our faithful creator. 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. And we'll read verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish, or we might say establish, who will establish or establish you and keep you from evil. Is he faithful? Can you trust God who is faithful in this way. He's faithful. He's reliable. I can trust him with my life. I can trust him with my children's life. I can trust him to keep me from all evil. I can trust God to keep me protected. The word establish means to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast or to fix, or to strengthen. I'm going to go back through that again. The word establish means to make stable. To make something stable. He will make us stable. He will place us firmly. Hallelujah. If God places you, what devil can move you, right? He will place you firmly. He will, he will set it fast. He sets you in a place that you're not wobbly. You're not on, on, on wavering, sandy, moving ground. He sets you so that you're, you're fixed, fast, strengthened. It means to make firm or render constant. To render you constant. He will render you constant. Hallelujah. That's what the word established means. So... God is faithful. Hallelujah. God 
is faithful. And what is he faithful to do? To establish you and keep you from evil. Hallelujah. Oh, he's so faithful. Can we trust someone who's that faithful to keep us? Hallelujah. To protect us, to establish us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands and just begin to worship him for his faithfulness to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. Thank you, Lord, that you keep us in all of our ways. Thank you, Lord, that we are unmoved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that we are unmoved. Thank you, Lord, that we are unmoved. Thank you, Lord. 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 You are faithful to establish us, to keep us from evil. You are faithful to establish us, to keep us from evil. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You keep us from evil. Hallelujah. Did he keep the children of Israel? When the, the plagues were going on in Egypt, did he separate? Did he set up a separation between them and the plagues? Hallelujah. He did, didn't he? It said that, that it was so dark in Egypt that people couldn't even get up and move for three days. They were, they were all not only in their house, but in their house it was so dark. They couldn't move around. They were immobilized. But there was light in the dwellings of the people of God. There's light in our lives. There might be gross darkness around us, but there's light in our lives. We're not making decisions in the dark. We're not trying to conduct our business in the dark. We're not trying to determine where we're going in the dark. We're children of the light. We're children of the light. We're walking in the light. Hallelujah. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's faithful. No frogs. I don't have to spend one more night with, I don't have to spend not one night with the frogs. They had frogs in there. In their mixing bowls. They had frogs in their bed. They had frogs in their food. They had frogs in their bath water. They had frogs in their drinking water. Everywhere they looked, there were nasty frogs, but not on God's territory. Hallelujah. There was a plague that came through and killed all their cattle, but not one of the people of God's cattle. Hallelujah. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful to keep us. And we trust in him. We trust in him. Hallelujah. We trust in him. I trust in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to press pause right here on this message because I've got more, but I want to... I want us just to focus on what we've learned about God. Trust is a commitment. I put my trust. I put my trust. And as I put my trust, I verbalize it. I say, the Lord is my refuge. Psalm 91 is an example. Everything that happens from verse 3 on was initiated by verses 1 and 2. He that dwelleth, dwells, dwelleth, dwells, abides, continues, consistent. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow. I will say. I will say. So I'm abiding. That means I'm trusting. We found out that trust, it means to hide and take refuge in Him. So when I trust in God... I enter into his protection. Amen. When I trust in God, I, he puts me in the cleft of the rock. Hallelujah. 
Why? Because I'm trusting in God. And he says, I've got you right where I want you. And nothing can get to you. Why? Because you're trusting in me. Hallelujah. And then everything else that comes in that psalm. No, the, the, the thousand fall at my right side, 10,000 at my right hand shall not come near me. Why? I'm trusting in him. I shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness. Why will I not be afraid? Why? Why? Because I put my trust somewhere already. I put my trust in him. So being afraid of that is not optional if I put my trust in God. I won't be afraid. Why? Because I've put my commitment of faith, my trust in him. Hallelujah. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Amen. He shall not see when he comes. <laughs> shall not fear. He's going to come and be like, hot. It's not hot. It's not hot for me. Right. Difficult. It's not difficult for me. Is it difficult for you? It's not difficult. What? Trouble? Unrest, can't sleep, he gives his beloved slumber. I've trusted in the Lord. Did you hear the story about the woman in London, England? They were having bombings during World War II. They were coming through and bombing in London. And when those bomb sirens, the air raid sirens would start going on, the people would go to where they had already prepared a bomb shelter in the town. And so they got to, every time those air raid sirens would go off, the people in that community would all gather together in that bomb shelter. And after a few weeks, this certain area had been under attack continually. And uh, so they were getting to know each other and they were recognizing their neighbors. And, and a few weeks in, they said, you know, we haven't seen that woman from, you know, that apartment up on the right or whatever. They, they're recognizing this certain woman. We haven't seen her. I hope she didn't get hurt in a bombing. I hope she didn't die. And then they happened to run into her one day and said, where have you been? The bomb sirens have been going off. Didn't you hear them? Why didn't you come down to the bomb shelter? And she said, well, because I'm trusting in the Lord. And he said that he never sleeps and he never slumbers. I figured that I might as well go ahead and sleep. He's going to take care of me. And she stayed in her bed <laughs> and slept through the night while they were down there in the bomb shelters. And she just believed, trusted in God. Trusting in God. In Him I put my trust. In Him I put my trust. In Him I put my trust. I put my trust. See, see yourself right now like, you know how those people who are, are, mount, are climbing mountains or scaling down a mountain and they've got those uh, uh, the things that are wrapped over the lines, safety lines, harnesses, harness, and, and they have different hooks, and they, they hook to those harnesses. Just see yourself right now hooking to the trust in God. Amen. I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I put my trust in Him. Stand with me to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're faithful. You cannot lie. We put our trust in you. And we know we will not be ashamed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, the Lord is good.